Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid of the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson will be The Test of Success. The Test of Success. The subtitle, When Success Leads to Failure. When Success Leads to Failure. Brothers and sisters, success has destroyed more people than failure. There's a, there's a thin line between success and failure, brothers and sisters. One thing I discovered as I, over the years, as I studied the Old Testament, as I scoured the Tanakh, I only saw Satan maybe three times in the whole Old Testament, brothers and sisters. Outside of Genesis, the third chapter, you see him maybe three times in the whole Old Testament. Now, that was alarming to me because as a Christian, everything was about Satan. Satan was your enemy all the time. Satan was coming against you at all times. Everything I could blame on Satan. But as I studied the Bible, I began to see that the greatest battle was never Satan. The greatest battle was ourselves. It was ourselves. Satan always knew that he could use us to get in the way of ourselves. I don't understand. I don't know if sisters think like this, but men understand this. Men understand that their, their, their other self is the greatest enemy. That typically, brothers and sisters, we cannot get out of the way. We get in our own way. And Satan knows this, brothers and sisters. You will never see, you will hardly ever see in the Old Testament where Satan had a back, a, a confrontation directly with a person. Never. Even in Job, brothers and sisters, he didn't have a direct confrontation with Job. He went to the Father. Now that is highly alarming to me, brothers and sisters. Because the greatest enemy I discovered, I learned, doesn't have a pitchfork. Brothers and sisters, the greatest enemy is myself. The greatest enemy is yourself, brother. Sister, let me show you something here. Let's go to Job. I want to show you the mindset, the mentality of the enemy. Let's go to Job, the first chapter, brothers and sisters. Job, the first chapter, the sixth through the twelfth verse. Many times we've read this before, but I, I want you to... Take a look at it through this lens, brothers and sisters. The title of today's lesson, The Test of Success. Here we are, Job, the first chapter, the sixth verse, and it reads, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence cometh thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God, and escheweth evil, or hateth evil. Verse 9 reads, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doeth Job fear God for naught? Let me read that again. 
Job 1 and 9, take a look at this, brothers and sisters. It says, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doeth Job fear God for naught or for nothing? Does Job fear God for nothing, right? Look at verse 10. Hast thou made a hedge about him and his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. Hmm. Let me read that again, brothers and sisters. Let me read 9 through 12 again. I need you to really listen to this to the enemy's mentality, how he thinks, right? Job 1 and 9 says, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doeth Job fear God for nothing? Hast thou hast has not thou made a hedge about him and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands. And his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put forth no, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now, brothers and sisters. When you read those five or six scriptures, it tells you that Satan believes we have to actually be, he, he believes that we only serve the most high God to get things. Because here it is, he says, yeah, he fears you, but if you went against him, if things didn't go well, he would, walk, he would go against you, right? He thinks we need to actually be bribed. Man would only do what was right if he's bribed to do so. Now that's that is that's alarming there, brothers and sisters, that he believes that listen, <laughs> it's easy to turn man away from God. Everything has to do with his success. His success his success can turn him away from God. He understands this, or he believes he understands this, brothers and sisters. This was very alarming to me that he said, well, listen, he only fears you. <laughs> he only fears you because, listen, I mean, you've given him, you've given him success. You've given him prosperity. He has a great family. He's protected. That's the only reason. But if you went against him, if you turned against him, Lord, he will curse you to your face. That is extremely, extremely important, brothers and sisters. Because here it was, Satan understood he could not come against Job. He would need to try to get Job to go against God. It was clear there in what we just read. Let me read 12 again. Listen to what the father, listen to the father's response. Job 1 and 12 reads, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. Right? So he's saying you can't put your hand against him. Okay? You can't touch him. Right? The same thing the Most High does now. Satan knows he cannot come against us. He has to get permission. He Even he respects the authority of the Most High. How about you and I? How about you and I? So he understood this, brothers and sisters. He knows 
He cannot come against us directly. He would have to get us to go against God. And he will always try that, brothers and sisters. He'll show you things. He'll put temptation there. He'll send people your way. He'll never come against you physically. He'll never come against you. He needs you to go against yourself, brothers and sisters. And this is where we're going to start today. This is where we're going to start. The title of today's lesson, The Test of Success. Brothers and sisters, it's a marathon. It's a long road. It's a long road. And we, according to what I believe, brothers and sisters, my greatest battle is within the mirror. That is my greatest battle. Brothers understand exactly what I'm saying. You understand exactly what I'm saying. The greatest battle is not anyone outside of myself. It's not Satan. It's not the white man. <laughs> okay? It's myself. Sisters. Listen to this, sisters. I, I know you may not think like this, but trust me, sisters. Listen to these scriptures. Okay? Let's go to Proverbs 30. Proverbs, the 30th chapter, the 8th and the 9th verse. Listen to this, please, brothers and sisters. Proverbs 30 and 8 reads, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Brothers and sisters, this is some of the, I mean, <laughs> this is some of the deepest stuff I've ever read. Now, I've read this scripture many times, but the first time I read this, I was, I was floored. I was floored. Because I knew what it was saying was true, but I never I never expressed it in words, but this was my mentality. This was my mentality. Listen to this again. Proverbs 30 and 8. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Brothers and sisters, he's saying, give me neither poverty nor riches. So according to what we're seeing, both extremes are deprecated here, right? Both, both extremes are deprecated here, brothers and sisters. Take a look. Let's look at verse 9. Lest I be full and deny thee, and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, and take the name of my God in vain. Look at this, brothers and sisters. He said, remove far from me poverty and riches. Why? Because I become fool and deny thee. So what is he showing us here, brothers and sisters? What, what is he showing us? He's showing us that we have a tendency to forget God when life is too easy and turn away from God when life is too hard. Now, see, Satan knows this. He knows there's two ways to get to man. Right? And when I say man, that's male and female. Take a look. Let me read that again. In fact, brothers and sisters, I really hope that 
you're actually documenting these scriptures, okay, and looking at this for yourself and not just, you know, just listening to us read it, okay? Yes, we are reading it, but don't get lazy, brothers and sisters. You need to see these things for yourself. Proverbs, the 30th chapter, the 8th and the 9th verse, and it reads, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Verse 9 reads, Lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, and take the name of my God in vain. Look at that, brothers and sisters. According to the author, people find it easier to seek the Lord when they have needs in their life. Frequently forgotten are the dangers that prosperity brings. That's the part we want to deal with. We already understand the part of being poor. <laughs> We've been poor our whole lives. We understand that when you're in survival mode, I was in survival mode as a young man. When you're in survival mode, brothers will tell you this. Right and wrong does not matter. The only thing that matters is survival. And Satan knows this also. Satan knows this. So when you're trying to put food on the table, right? When there's mama there and no daddy there and there's double shifts, triple shift, that's when drugs get sold, right? Amongst other things, sister selling a body. This is for money. But there's a flip side of that that we ignore. And that's the part of success. Frequently forgotten are the dangers that prosperity brings. I'm going to read it again because he highlights it here. Proverbs 30 and 8 reads, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee, lest I be full and deny thee. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? See? So brothers and sisters, while success is not inherently sinful, we need to have a proper perspective about its dangers. Because see, when your bills are paid till next summer, you tend to skip a few prayers, right? Skip a few commandments, right? It's human nature because our heart is deceitfully wicked. Okay? Our heart is deceitfully wicked. We get lackadaisical. We get loose. And I'm speaking to Israel right now because I, I can't really attest to other people. It's, I'm, it's, I'm, it's likely that it's the same for all races of people. But what I can speak to is being an Israelite. I'm an Israelite. So I know that Israelites deal with these struggles. And I'm not just talking about Jews or black people, right? I'm talking about the 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 the, the Issacharites, right? The Mexicans, the Dominicans, the Haitians, the Jamaicans, the North American Indians, those brothers in Guam, those brothers and sisters in Hawaii, right? Those those brothers and sisters in Cambodia and Vietnam. These are God's people here. Those in Cuba, right? Venezuela. These are all God's people here, right? So I can only speak from the perspective of being an Israelite. I know that Israel struggles with this. The second we get a hint of success, we go against God. 
And Satan knows this also. So let's let's get in preparation here. Let's get in preparation here, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Deuteronomy. Let's go to Deuteronomy 8. Because why? I, I'm speaking specifically to the Jews first or the, the Israelites first and then the Gentiles. Because I can't, it would be... It would be disingenuous for me to actually say that Gentiles struggle with this because I really don't know what Gentiles struggle with. I'm, I'm an Israelite. I'm just an Israelite here. So I'm speaking from an Israelite perspective. Our people have this struggle historically, brothers and sisters. We praise God really good when we need something. And as soon as we get it, we break every, we break every vow that we ever made. Let's take a look. Let's go back in history. Let's go to Deuteronomy, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Deuteronomy um, 8 and 10. I'm going to read verse 10 through 14, brothers and sisters. Take a listen to this, please. Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter, the 10th verse, and it reads, When thou hast eaten and are full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Brothers and sisters, if you know anything about the Bible, especially the Torah, the, uh, the Pentateuch, right before we went into the land, Moses was giving us these laws. These laws were to, we were supposed to follow going into the promised land. Let us listen to it again because Moses called for Israel to remember our dependence and commitment unto God in our prosperity. So he already knew. <laughs> he knew. Take a take take a gander, brothers and sisters. Deuteronomy 8 and 10 reads, When thou hast eaten and are full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Verse 11 reads, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God and not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and are full and have built good houses and dwelt therein. And when thou and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, then that thine heart be lifted up. And that thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Mm. Brothers and sisters, do you see what Moses was breaking down here? In preparation, when you look at verse 11, in preparation for success, the Most High counseled our forefathers on the dangers of prosperity. The good times have the power to lure us away from our commitment to God. How do I know this? Look at verse 11, brothers and sisters. Actually, yeah, look at verse 11. I'm going to read 11 through 14. Verse 11 reads, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in, in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou have eaten and are full and has built goodly houses and dwelt therein 
and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and when thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart shall be lifted up. Then thine heart shall be lifted up. Then thine heart shall be lifted up. And thou forget the Lord thy God. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Do you see that? He's telling you when you're fed to the full. See, when you're hungry, it becomes easy to pray. It becomes easy to read your Bible. But success has a way of doing something to you. It has a way of doing something to all of us, brothers and sisters. Right? It, it becomes harder to stay disciplined when you have success. See, when you're living close to the edge, there's that line and you... <laughs> Are, have nothing, right? There's no job. The bills can't be paid. There's no relationship or, or whatever the case is. There's no car. You are living very tightly. <laughs> You're living very tight. But once things are good, you got a little change in your pocket. You're good in your relationship. High paying job, nice car. See? He knew this. These passages teach us that success can bring comfort and complacency. Brothers and sisters, according to the text, prosperity and ease produces pride and independence from God. Now, say Moses is a liar. Say Moses is a liar. I'm going to read it again. Let's read that again. Verse 11, Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter, the 11th verse, and it reads, Beware. That thou forget not the Lord thy God in keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and are full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, when thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then Thine heart be lifted up, and thy forget the Lord thy God. You see? So there's a danger in success, brothers and sisters, according to the Bible. That what? The same thing that the, the, the author in Proverbs said, Listen, feed me with what's convenient for me. Don't give me riches, lest I be tempted to say, Who is God? <laughs> Right. I got everything. I don't need to pray to God for my bills. I don't need to pray to God for, you know, my car being fixed or whatever the case is, because I have money. I have success. So here it is. It's showing that brothers and sisters, our people, the children of Israel are really not good with success. And that's alarming, because if you're not good with success, how can he give it to you? Moses knew we could not be trusted. In fact, the Most High knew we could not be trusted. That's why he commanded Moses to give us this information, brothers and sisters. We're in preparation because a change is coming, brothers and sisters. And Satan knows. The only, he has to use you to get in the way of you, brothers and sisters. Time in and time out. How many times have you got in your own way? That's not the devil. The devil can only show it to you. The devil can only present it to you. He can't make you do it. 
Christians taught us to blame the devil for everything. I'm sure he's sitting somewhere like, good grief. I'm the blame for everything. <laughs> we really know. Yeah, there's people worshiping the devil, Amalek and all that. Yeah, we understand that. But the devil can't make me go pull a trigger on another brother. The devil can't make me cook up some, some, uh, you know, some, some cocaine and go sell it to my people, right? The devil don't have anything to do with me looking at the behinds of every sister that walked past. You see? See, that's me. That's you, brothers and sisters. You're fighting yourself. Let's go to Jeremiah, brothers and sisters. Because I'm going to show you that our people, the children of Israel, have always had this struggle with success. Always had this struggle. Take a look. Let's go to Jeremiah 22 and 21. Jeremiah 22 and 21 reads, I spake unto thee in thy prosperity, but thou saidest, I will not hear. This hath been thy manner from thy youth, that thou obeyest not my voice. Here we read one of the greatest weaknesses of our sinful nature. In prosperity, we often refuse to acquiesce to the Most High God. He only has our attention in seasons of hardship. And that's, that's, that's going to be that's going to be a miscalculation. Listen to this again. Israel, this scripture is about you. Jeremiah 22 and 21 reads, I spake unto thee in your prosperity, but thou saidest, I will not hear. This hath been thy manner from thy youth, that thou obeyest not my voice. Look at that. Too quickly, brothers and sisters, we neglect him in the good times and use him in the bad times. You see that, brothers and sisters? In the good times, we, we don't follow God. The bad times, we're more likely to follow the Most High God. But we forget about Him in the good times. He said, I spoke to you in your prosperity. You said, listen, I, I don't want to hear that. I'm good right now. I'm independent right now. He said, this has been your manner since your youth, Israel. Israel never called on God in the good times. We strayed away from God when the times were good. The only time we sought the Most High God was when we, when we were in terrible trouble. In the text, the text provides a line of demarcation. Let us show you. Verse 21, Jeremiah, the 22nd chapter, the 21st verse. Take a look at this again, please. 21, verse 21 reads, I spake unto thee in thy prosperity, but thou saidest, I will not hear. This hath been thy manner from thy youth. This hath been thy manner from thy youth. This hath been thy manner from thy youth. Brothers and sisters, the text provides a line of demarcation. What was that line of demarcation? He's speaking to the children of Israel. 
And he said, this has been your conduct since your youth. So now we have to find out biblically, what, what is he referring to since our youth? What, what time was this? What time is he speaking of? He's saying, Israel, since your youth, I've tried to speak to you when you were prosperous. And you said, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I'm going to do what did they say. I'm going to do me. I'm going to do me. <laughs> See, we use him as a savior, but not as a Lord. When you need him, when we need him, we pull him out the trunk like a spare tire. But when we don't, or when you think you don't, in the good times, brothers and sisters, a hard head makes a soft behind. And we're going to be raw. <laughs> Our people are going to be raw, brothers and sisters. And Satan knows this. It doesn't take much to get us off track. Let us show you. He said, ever since your youth, Israel, let's find out. When is our youth? Let's go to Hosea, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Hosea, the 11th chapter, the first and the second verse. Take a look at this. Hosea 11 and 1 reads, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Brothers and sisters, please examine the parental metaphor in this particular passage. Because why? This recalls the Most High's redemption of Israel from the bondage in Egypt. Let me read that again. Hosea 11 and 1 reads, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed unto Balaam and burned incense to graven images. Brothers and sisters, when it says, as they called them, so they went from them. He's telling you that as much, the more that our prophets tried to speak to us about our behavior, the further we went away from God. This is what he's telling us. Now, remember, he said, I spoke to you since your youth. Okay, what time was this? The text, verse 1, tells you that when we were caught out of Egypt, that's when we were in our youth. So let's take a look at it one more time. Hosea, the 11th chapter, the first verse, and it reads, When Israel was a child... Then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. So brothers and sisters, the toxic behaviors of our youth can often persist into adulthood. This is 500 years before the time of Hosea, he brought us out of Egypt. <laughs> okay, 500 years before Hosea. So according to the text, verse 2, when it says, as they called them, so they went from them. The more that somebody, you know, the, the prophets of the Most High tried to correct us, the further we went away from God. So that means that our sin has not been a sin of ignorance or thoughtlessness. It's been willful. And that's something completely different, brothers and sisters. Okay? It's not been a sin of ignorance. It's not been a sin of... Thoughtlessness, it's been willful. We've known exactly 
You see that, brothers and sisters? Do you see that? Now, now that we have that line of demarcation, is when we came out of Egypt, right? Let's go back to Egypt. What is he actually saying? What transpired when we were coming out of Egypt? That he's saying we ignored him. We had prosperity and ignored. Let's see. Because why? If we're the people, if we're the people of the book, then we did this. That means we have proclivities. We have tendencies of our forefathers. It would behoove us to do what? To double check. It would behoove us to be on guard, right? Let's go to Exodus 12 and 35. Because why? He said in our youth when he called us out of Egypt. Okay, let's go there. Let's go back to Egypt, brothers and sisters. Exodus 12 and 35. I'm going to read 35 and 36. Verse 35 reads, And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold. And rain. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. Now, brothers and sisters, the term borrowing is a bit deceptive because everyone knew we were leaving Egypt for good and with no intention of returning. So the translators, the English is a little deceptive here when it talks about we borrowed from the Egyptians. Okay? If the text is telling you that after all those years of forced and free labor, we left Egypt with bags full of gold and silver. Let me read that again. Exodus 12 and 35 reads, And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses. And they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they lent unto them such as things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. Brothers and sisters, look at verse 40 and verse 41. Verse 40 reads, Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even that self same day, it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So brothers and sisters, look at this. After all those years of forced labor, forced and free labor, we left Egypt with gold, with silver, with jewels. Brothers and sisters, did you know that here we read of the biblical basis for paying slavery reparations? This was rep this was reparations. This is where it came from, brothers and sisters. See, this commandment was not the the moment you know the 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 momentary seizing of an opportunity, but a core component of the Exodus. This was key here, brothers and sisters. It told you that. We, if, according to the English, it says borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and gold. No, we didn't borrow. It tells you that the Most High gave us favor in their sight. So we went, demanded our pay for working. Because remember, the Bible says you can't, you can't have a person work for free. 
You can't do that. That's against the law. That's against the laws of Moses. So here it was he demanded that we went to them and, you know, demanded payment. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with going to your boss's office and saying, well, can I get paid? <laughs> okay. There's nothing wrong with that, brothers and sisters. We just wanted to show you. This is where you get the basis, the biblical basis of slave reparations. Now, we also made a statement and said that this wasn't the momentary season of an opportunity. This was a core component of the Exodus. This was planned, brothers and sisters, and let us show you this. Go to Genesis 15, okay? Genesis 15 and 13, right? We're going to read 13 and 14. Take, take a listen to this, brothers and sisters. Genesis 15 and 13 reads, And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward they shall come out with great substance. Let me read that again, just in case you, you missed it. Genesis 15 and 13 reads, And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. So, brothers and sisters, it was promised that we would depart Egypt, not just with our freedom, but with great wealth. He was promising this to Abraham before his name was Abraham. <laughs> okay, so this was planned. This prognostication was fulfilled when we took the reparations for our slave labor. You see that? Reparations was a required component of liberation, brothers and sisters. See, our people don't know this. Our people don't even know this. Reparations was a required component of liberation. Take a look at this, brothers and sisters. We went here to show you that this was a pro this was a prophecy. This wasn't just our people, you know, trying to trying to steal or, or anything like that. We were getting what we worked for, and God promised our forefather Abraham this in Genesis 15, well before we received the law, well before Exodus 20. Take a look at this. Look at Exodus 3, brothers and sisters. Exodus 3 and 18. Because why? We said that reparations was a required component of liberation. We must prove that to you. Okay? We must prove that. We can't just make blanket statements. <laughs> okay? Let us show you. Exodus 3 and 18 through 22. And it reads... And they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt. And ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go. We beseech thee three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, not by a mighty hand. So he asked us to inquire the king to allow us to go on a three-day journey to, 
to worship the most high and sacrifice. In verse 19, he said, I know he won't allow you to do this, though. Right. Look at verse 20, brothers and sisters. Verse 20 reads, and I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. Verse 21 reads, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty. Ye shall not go empty. Ye shall not go empty. Verse 22 reads, but every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house. Jewels of silver, jewels of gold and raiment. And ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. So, brothers and sisters, this is here in Exodus 3, the same chapter we found out the Most High's name was I am that I am, or Ahiah, Ashaw, Ahiah. So, this is well before we were liberated, right? We're seeing that the taking of reparations is at the very heart of our liberation story of the Exodus. See, when the Mosai first promised liberation to our people, that promise already explicitly included abundant reparations. It's clear in Exodus 3. Let me read it again. Exodus 3 and 21 reads, And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor, and of her that sojourneth in her house, jewels of silver, jewels of gold, and raiment, and ye shall put them upon your sons, and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. So Israel, brothers and sisters, you cannot properly tell the story of the Exodus without emphasizing the significant property we took on our way to freedom. Okay. Liberation was not the end. It was the beginning. The Most High would not free us without remuneration for our years of labor. He would not do it. He refused to do it, brothers and sisters. So it wasn't like, okay, because all these plagues were going on, we were going to just say, listen, give us this gold and, and, and silver or, or our God's going to plague you. No, no. This was a plan well before any of the first plagues came, brothers and sisters. We got the jewelry before the death angel. Yeah, we got that. So now we're showing you. Remember, he said he's been speaking to us since our youth when we had prosperity. Now you're seeing the prosperity. When we left, brothers and sisters, we went from being slaves a month ago to now having gold and diamonds and jewels and resources overnight. Take a look. Let's go to Exodus 25. We can't stop there. Now, at this time in history, we're leaving. We're gone, brothers and sisters. We got gold. We have silver. We have their garments. We have their raiment. We have jewels. Right? Take a look at Exodus 25. We're going to read 1 through 9. Exodus 25 and 1 reads, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. 
ye shall take my offering. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins dyed red and badger skins and shittim wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing oil and for sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell with them. Verse 8, brothers and sisters, is the most important. Verse 8 reads, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell with them. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell with them. According to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. So, brothers and sisters, when it was time to build a tabernacle for God's presence, that Egyptian gold showed up again. You see that? You see that, brothers and sisters? How do slaves have gold and silver and brass and purple and scarlet and fine linen that God is asking for? Because he gave it to us from the Egyptians as we were leaving. You see that? So God was teaching Israel how to worship him and use all the things we received from Egypt for his glory. He didn't just give us that for reparations. He gave it to us for his glory, brothers and sisters. See, this is how the Most High operates. He had them give us all that because he knew when we got in the wilderness, listen, you need to make a tabernacle for me. And it needs to have gold and silver and amethyst and shittim wood and badger skin and all this stuff. All this stuff. See that, brothers and sisters? Exodus 32 and 1 through 4 reads, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Make us gods which shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man that brought us out of the land of Egypt, we know not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings, which are in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graven tool. And after he had made it, a molten calf, and they said, These be thy gods, Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. You see this, brothers and sisters? The reparations from Egypt became an Egyptian golden calf. You see that, brothers and sisters? Do you see that? He gave us this gold to build a sanctuary. Of course, we start wearing the gold. And then we do what? The same reparations. We do what? We give it to Aaron to make us a golden calf to worship. Israel, in other words, used the gold of the Egyptians to turn away from the living God. You see that? It's glaringly clear that the blessings can become snares if misappropriated, brothers and sisters. 
He gave us this gold and silver and jewels to build a sanctuary for him. We use it for what? Let me read it again. Exodus 32 and 2 reads, And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received that at their hand, and fashioned it with a graven tool, after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Brothers and sisters, each generation of God's people must stand before this text and invest, investigate their own behavior. Has God given you something as a blessing that you replaced him with? Have you worshipped the blessing rather than the blesser? It's clear since our exception, since our exemption, brothers and sisters, he's blessed us. And we've used those blessings to go away from God. Since our inception, brothers and sisters, think about the last time you had and the best time you had, the most success you had in the last three to five years. Let's just go three years. Think about that. Think about that. Did you fall off at all? Did you fall off from your diligence with the Most High at all? Or did you keep it going? Were you straight as an arrow the same way when you needed this help? Were you the same way once you got his help? Be real with yourself, brothers and sisters. Be real with yourself because you're going to learn from this. So the next time some success comes... You look out for the snares because see, Satan understands this. Satan will give you success. <laughs> we know this. Look at the uh, the music industry. God is not the only person who gives blessings. Satan knows we have a tendency to turn away from God when everything's good. He knows this. He can't make us turn away from God, but he knows our weakness. He knows our weakness, Israel. Let's go to Hosea 13 and 5. Hosea 13 and 5 reads, I did know thee in the wilderness, in the land of great drought, according to their pasture, so they were filled. They were filled, and their heart was exalted. Therefore they have forgotten me. Therefore I will be unto them as a lion, as a leopard by the way. I will observe them. I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her whelps and will rend the call of their hearts. And there I will devour them like a lion. The wild beast shall tear them. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. Clearly, brothers and sisters, the most difficult time to stay in good fellowship with the Most High is when everything is going great. According to the author, Israel has a tendency to stop pursuing the Most High during seasons of harvest, during seasons of blessing. 
I'm going to read that again, brothers and sisters, okay? Hosea 13 and 5 through 9 reads, I did know thee in the wilderness, in the land of great drought. According to their pasture, so they were filled. They were filled and their heart was exalted. Therefore, they have forgotten me. You see that? He said that our heart was were filled, brothers and sisters. According to the pasture, we were filled. We had everything we desired, everything we could ever need, right? Our hearts became proud. And it says, therefore, they have forgotten me. Now, let us show you, brothers and sisters, you, you are either drawing closer to the Most High or drifting away from God. We had become comfortable and wandered away from God. And guess what his response to that was? Because Hosea painted a startling picture of the coming judgment of God against our people for this behavior. Look at verse 7. Hosea 13 and 7 reads, Therefore I will be unto them as a lion, as a leopard by the way will I observe them. I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her whelps, and will rend the call of their hearts, and there will I devour them like a lion. The beast shall tear them. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. Thou hast destroyed thyself. But in me is thy help. Brothers and sisters, the success made us feel secure and, and self-sufficient. And as a result, we chose to turn our back on the Most High God. You see that? We are the cause of our own destruction. Listen to verse 9 again. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. Hosea is telling us we are the authors of our own destruction. You see, and that's what we were trying to allude to. Satan knows this. You will never find in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, where Satan came against the person, brothers and sisters, directly. He never came against a person directly since Genesis, the third chapter, brothers and sisters. Because he knows he doesn't have that power. He can't do that. What he can do is get you to make decisions against yourself. If that means giving you success for you to destroy yourself, he'll do that. See, I really need all people, but especially our people, to actually internalize this point. Internalize this point. Because there... If you're not already successful, or you, you're going to have some success coming. And can you, can you stay and live as narrow, as tight as you did before while you were waiting? Or will you become lackadaisical like we have a proclivity to do since the time of uh, Egypt? Since the time of Moses, we did this, this mess. We're trying to prepare our people. Satan is not our greatest enemy. The world is not our greatest enemy. They're enemies. The greatest enemy is, is you, brothers and sisters. 
The greatest enemy is yourself, brothers. Can you defeat that man in the mirror? Can you defeat that woman in the mirror? Let's go to Jeremiah 2 and 31. Jeremiah, the second chapter, the 31st verse reads, O generation, see ye the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness unto Israel, a land of darkness? Wherefore, say my people, we are lords. We will not come unto thee. Brothers and sisters, here the Most High makes Israel the, themselves the judges of this cause. Listen to what he said. He's asking, listen, did I disappoint you or your expectation while you served me, Israel? Because why? It's clear that we have determined that we know best. We have claimed the power to do as we please. Listen to this. Jeremiah 2 and 31. O generation, see the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness unto Israel? Have I been a land of darkness? Why or wherefore say my people, we are the Lord's. We will come no more unto thee. So he's asking you, have I been a wilderness to you? Have there been no blessings? Have you been hungry? Have you been thirsty? That's what a wilderness is. No rain. Rain is blessing, brothers and sisters. He's saying, have I been a wilderness to you, Israel? Have I been a land of darkness with no light? Then why are you saying, I'm my own Lord? We come no more to you, Father. We control our own destiny. Look at verse 32. 32 reads, Can a maid forget her ornaments, or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. So he said, listen, can a, do you think a bride will forget her dress? On the day she's getting married? Do you think a woman forgets her earrings or, or, or you know, those things like that? She's going to forget those things? Look at this. Verse 32 reads, Can a maid forget her ornaments? Or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Verse 33, Why trimmeth thou the way to seek love? Therefore hast thou taught the wicked ones thy ways. Listen to that part again. Verse 33 reads, Why trimmeth thou thy way to seek love? Therefore hast thou also taught the wicked ones thy ways. Brothers and sisters, the Most High shows by comparison in verse 32 that our minds are perverted. <laughs> he shows how perverted our minds are. It's telling you that we value him less than girls value their jewelry. We gallivant through life impetuously with disregard for what pleasures the most high. Let me read it again. Verse 32. Verse 32 reads, Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Verse 33. Why trimmeth thou thy way to seek love? Therefore hast thou taught the wicked ones thy ways. 
brothers and sisters, verse 33 says, we made the wicked ones more wicked than they otherwise would be. We made people who are culturally pagans worse than they would be. Even the Gentiles, according to Jeremiah, even the Gentiles who are naturally wicked have learned immorality from us. God's people. Think about this. We, we create new ways to do evil, brothers and sisters. And you know this. You know this. Our people, I heard this, you know, this thing going on in the in the community where people was getting P, I think what is it, PPP loans or something like this. People are, you know, getting stealing money from the government, saying they have a business and all this when they don't have no business, right? Our people, I mean, we're always looking for a way to come up. Where I'm from, they had boosters and all that, where, you know, people running out of stores with garments and all that, polo and all that, right? And then selling it. All this credit card scam, all this stuff, drugs. Drugs was the old school game. <laughs> There's so much else out there now. Drugs, the government's selling the drugs now. So our people have created new ways. And if you from where I'm from, if you from the hood, you know this already. You already know this. If you grew up in the hood amongst the poor, you already know all the evil that's going on amongst our people. The white man looking at this like, wow, <laughs> you even teach me, you even teach me sin. <laughs> See? Let us show you. Let us show you how they view us, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Isaiah 1 and 5. Because remember, Jeremiah 2 and 33 said, Thou hast also taught the wicked one thy ways, right? Let's see. What are they seeing? What are they seeing when they come past the ghetto, the hoods, right? Isaiah, the first chapter, the fifth verse, and it reads, Why should ye be stricken anymore? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. I'm going to read it again. Isaiah 1 and 5 reads, Why should you be stricken or hit anymore? Ye will revolt more and more, Israel. Brothers and sisters, the text teaches us that he did not desire to inflict judgment upon us. The text also teaches that we would continue to be struck or stricken as long as we rebelled. How do we know? Because he's saying, why should you be stricken anymore? Letting you know that you control how many licks you get, Israel. And you're going to continue to get lick, licks. He's going to continue to light us up like a Christmas tree, brothers and sisters, as long as we try to go against him. And this is our people. This is our people. God will be trying to get, get us in order and all that, and we'll go, you know, we'll continue to go against God. This is our people. And see, the Gentiles take a look at this and say, what the? These people are stubborn Listen to the scripture again. Verse 5 reads, Why 
should you be stricken any more, Israel. Ye revolt more and more. Brothers and sisters, I can tell you this. Whenever the rod is of no more use, there will be a sharper instrument to follow. Okay? Isaiah's point is that the most highest rod of correction has not succeeded with our people. You see that, brothers and sisters? Our people do this. We get angry with God. He's trying to get us in order to bring us back to him. We'll actually get angry with God. And do things against God out of our anger. Do things against our people out of anger. For God. Tell me this is not us. Tell me this is not you and I, brothers and sisters. Go to Jeremiah 5 and 3. Because the text told you in Jeremiah 2, right? In, uh, in Jeremiah 2 and 33, it said that we taught the wicked one their ways. We're teaching them even wickedness that they could have never thought of, right? This is what they see. Jeremiah 5 and 3 reads, O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused. To receive correction. They have made their faces harder. Than a rock. They have refused. To return. Brothers and sisters. There is no sure sign. Of a carnal Israelite. Already in ruins. Because of rebellion against God. We behaved irrationally. By continuing our rebellion. I'm going to read this again. Because this is us. And it's not just black people. Because those same Cambodians, those same Dominicans, those same Mexicans, those same North American Indians, those same Haitians, those same Jamaicans, those same Hawaiians, all these are God's people. <laughs> so this isn't just us, okay? Jeremiah 5 and 3 reads, O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused. They have refused. They have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. Brothers and sisters, our people are so self-righteous. We're not even aware of how far away from God we really are. We're not even, we're not even aware. We're so hardened to sin that we don't even realize anymore that we're sinning. Mm. We don't repent. Why? Because we don't feel like we're guilty of sin. This is how far we've gone, brothers and sisters. Satan knows this. Satan knows. The only thing he has to do is put it in front of you. The only thing he has to do for most of our people is, is temptation. Temption. We're learning that what? What are we learning? We are our own greatest enemy. As I said in the beginning of a broadcast, 
as I studied the, the Old Testament, as I studied the Torah and Tanakh, brothers and sisters, I only found Satan in there three times outside of Genesis, the third chapter. And it was never directly against a brother or sister. It was never direct. So that, that really highlighted something for me. That the greatest enemy, and guess what? There was a lot of sinning. Most sin was going on in the Old Testament. And it had nothing to do with Satan. You see this, brothers and sisters? That really, really resonated with me. And if you grew up as a Christian, I'm sure it resonated with you. Because we always thought that anything wrong that goes on is the devil. It's not the case. It's not the case, brothers and sisters. Now, are we saying the devil doesn't exist? Yeah, the devil exists, of course. But the devil really don't have to do much to get us to sin, brothers and sisters. I mean, that's the truth. That's the truth. Let's go to Isaiah 9 and 13. Still talking about our people here, right? Isaiah the ninth chapter, the 13th verse, and it reads, For the people turneth not unto him that smiteth them, neither do they seek the Lord of hosts. Let me read that again, brothers and sisters, because for the commandment keepers church, right? This is why we don't blame the Edomites. This is why we don't blame the white man, right? Listen to it again. Isaiah 9 and 13 reads, for the people turneth not unto him that smiteth them, neither do they seek the Lord of hosts. So look at this, brothers and sisters. According to the author, blaming the white man is a way of escaping accountability. Listen to Isaiah again. For the people turneth not unto him that smiteth them. See, who is it that smiting us according to Isaiah? It's the most high. It's not the white man. He's using the white man. But where is it coming from? See? So you want to blame the white man. But no. It's you. It's me. It's us. He said our people will not turn to the one that's actually smiting them. The one that's actually lumping us up. We'll never turn to him. We'll blame somebody else. Brothers and sisters, one thing I discovered is that a person's life is a reflection of whose voice they obey most. Okay? You can look at a person's life and know, okay, yeah, they're following their own voice, which is essentially Satan. Because Satan doesn't care who you follow as long as it's not God. So if it's you, then so be it. You can look at a person's life and know exactly who they're obeying, brothers and sisters. Clearly. You don't need a long soliloquy. You don't need a diatribe. You don't need a biography. You can look. You can look at the fruit and know what's going on underground with the roots, brothers and sisters. This is a, this is a lesson for preparation. For self-examination. Because why? Our people have weaknesses. All people have weaknesses. And 
Far be it from me to say that Israel is the only people to struggle with this. I can't say for certain, but I know we struggle with it. So I pray that there's enough transferable truth that even Gentiles can learn from this. I, I pray, I believe that there is enough transferable truth for a white man to hear this and learn from this. Okay? Follow us to Ezekiel 3 and 5. Because remember, the Bible, said, the Bible said that we teach the Gentiles wickedness. <laughs> listen to Ezekiel. Listen to how Ezekiel explained our people, right? Ezekiel 3 and 5 through 7. Verse 5 reads, For thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech. And of a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Right? Not to many people of a strange speech and of a hard language, whose words thou cannot understand. Surely, had I sent thee to them, they would have listened unto thee. Brothers and sisters, when you look at verse. 5 and 6. According to the text, Ezekiel's task did not involve linguistic barriers. Listen to it again. The Most High, listen to what the Most High is telling Ezekiel. Verse 5. For thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech or of a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not not to many people of a strange speech and of a hard language whose words thou cannot understand. He said, I'm not sending you to people who don't speak your language. Listen to it. Listen to verse 6. Surely, had I sent thee to them, they would have listened. Surely, had I sent thee to them, they would have listened. Ezekiel's focus, brothers and sisters, was on his own people, which made his ministry harder. Because according to the text, God's word is more accepted by heathens, by Gentiles, than us. He said, if you would have told, if you would have went to the white man, right? Or you would have went to the Koreans. Or you would have went to any of these people and said, well, listen, you're God's chosen people. And God said you have to follow these laws and he'll put you over every, you know, he'll put you at the top. They would have already followed this. But for some reason with us, <laughs> we don't want to hear what God's chosen people. We don't want to hear laws. We'll follow the white man's laws. We'll follow the, the you know, the 4,200 laws of your state's penal code. We'll follow all those laws. You'll follow laws at your job. <laughs> and then when it comes to God's laws, it's, it's too much. Brother, you, there's 600 laws in the Bible. There's 606, whatever they be saying. Brothers and sisters, be beware. Anytime somebody starts telling you how many laws is in the Bible, right behind that is gonna they're gonna tell you why they can't follow, why you can't follow. I've never heard a person who actually followed the law start trying to tell me how many laws is in the Bible. Brother, there's over 600 laws in the Bible. Anytime you hear that, brothers and sisters, understand what he's saying or what she's saying is, I'm not trying to follow even the 10. Even the 10. And this is our people. I just wanted to show you, brothers and sisters. The verse Ezekiel 3 and 7 reads, 
But the house of Israel will not hearken unto you or unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. So Ezekiel, brothers and sisters, was warned at the outset of his ministry that our people would not listen to him. God said, Ezekiel, they're not going to listen to you because they won't even listen to me. But nevertheless, go to them. Go to them and tell them. Why? Why go to a person who doesn't listen, brothers and sisters? According to the Bible, so they can be held accountable. See, once you understand, once you've heard, you are accountable. You are accountable. So this is even in your life, brothers and sisters. The Most High may be trying to communicate something to you that you're unsure of or maybe you missed. And he have somebody come confirm it to you or say it to you, brothers and sisters. And what happens? You're responsible after that. Once you understand what's being said, you are responsible. Let's go to Nehemiah. 9 and 25. The test of success. The test of success, right? Nehemiah 9 and 25 reads, And they took strong cities and a fat land, and possessed houses full of all goods, wells digged, vineyards and olive yards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they did eat and were filled, and became fat, and delighted themselves in thy great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee and cast thy law behind their backs and slew the prophets, which testified against them to turn to thee. And thou wrought great provocations. Brothers and sisters, according to the text, subsequent to any sense of security, we have a proclivity to become negligent towards God. Verse 25 tells you all of our security, all the great things that happened to us. And 26 tells you what happened after obtaining all this success. So let's listen to the success part first. Verse 25 reads, And they took strong cities and a fat land and possessed houses full of all goods Wells digged, vineyards, olive yards, and fruit trees in abundance. And they did eat and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in thy great goodness. That was the success. Listen to what happened afterwards. Verse 26 reads, Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee, cast thy law behind their backs and slew the prophets which testified against them to turn unto thee. And they wrought great provocations. Therefore thou deliveredest them into the hands of the enemies who vexed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven. And according to thy manifold mercies, thou gavest them saviors who saved them out of the hand of thy enemies. Brothers and sisters, let me read 26 again, right? It says, 26 reads, Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee, and they, and they, in thy, and they cast thy law behind thy backs, 
and thy cast thy law behind their backs. Brothers and sisters, this is a Hebrew idiom for, for being out of sight, out of mind. It has a connotation of willful rejection. When it says he cast, we cast the law behind our backs, that means we weren't even focused on it. We put it behind our backs. We didn't even want to see it. <laughs> you see? So the text is showing us in the time of comfort and happiness, God's people become callous and unresponsive to his instruction. We're going to look at verse 27 because subsequent to our negligence comes God's correction. Let's listen to it. Nehemiah 9 and 27 reads, Therefore thou delivered them into the hand of their enemies who vexed them. And in their time of trouble, they cried unto thee, and, thy, and thou heard them from heaven. You see that, brothers and sisters? He said, I had to give you over to the enemy. Because why? That's the only time you obey me. That's the only time you pray to me. That's the only time you acquiesce. It's the only time you capitulate. You see that? He said, you, you, when you're a slave, when the white man is coming after you, when the Chinese man is coming after you, you become, you, you become dependent on me. When no one's coming against you, you, you want to be independent. See? This is a shame, brothers and sisters. This is a shame that God knows us so well. That there, we always have to have an enemy. God believes we have to have an enemy in order to be trusted. Because when there's no enemy, we become too secure. And when Israel becomes secure, let me show you something here, brothers and sisters. Let me show you that David understood the same thing about our people. This is about comfort, right? Look at Psalms 59 and 10, brothers and sisters. I'm going to read 10 and 11. Psalms, the 59th chapter, the 10th and 11th verse, and it reads, The God of my mercy shall prevent me. God shall let me see my desire upon my enemies. Slay them not, lest my people forget. Slay them not, lest my people forget. Slay them not, lest my people forget. According to the author, the Most High God uses our enemies as an instrument of judgment, brothers and sisters. Why? The Most High's goal isn't punishment in itself, but repentance, brothers and sisters. Even David understood this. He said, slay them not. If you kill off the enemies, our people will forget God. I'm going to read it again. Psalms 59 and 10 reads, The God of my mercy shall prevent me. God shall let me see my desire upon mine enemies. Slay them not, lest my people forget. Slay them not, lest my people forget. Scatter them by thy power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. So David understood that enemies... Help to keep the Lord's servants awake. You see, brothers and sisters, according to the text, we cannot be trusted with comfort and security. 
And that is sad, brothers and sisters. That means we'll never truly be secure or comfortable if we can't be trusted. So you're just going to have a turbulent, you know, you know, you have a turbulent life. Because why? Every time you're blessed, you get comfortable, you get, you feel secure, false security, that is, and you go away from God. So common sense would say, okay, well, I got to make sure you're not comfortable. <laughs> the implication is when our people dwell at ease, the spirit of forgetfulness and the negligence begins to set in. David is saying, listen, I, I want my desire on my enemies, but God don't kill them all because then our people will forget. They'll forget who actually did it. <laughs> They'll forget to praise God. Look at how forgetful we are, brothers and sisters. This is real. This is real. Because why? The Most High wants to give us success, brothers and sisters. But can you be trusted? We know the dangers of poverty, but do you know the dangers of success? And if you've never been successful, you don't know. When you go back, brothers and sisters, and you, you, you listen to anyone who's been successful and lost it all, brothers and sisters, whether it's a football player, basketball players, artists, they all give you the real deal. They give you the inside scoop, brothers and sisters. They give you the inside scoop, right? The only people who know money don't fix your problems is people with money. I discovered that. Somebody with money actually said that to me. He said, you, you guys, you, you know, your community believes that money fixes everything. <laughs> he said, those of us who grew with money, grew up with money, we don't believe that. We, in fact, we know that's not true. So it's our how we perceive things, brothers and sisters. It's our perception, brothers and sisters. We're showing you the dangers. The, the, there's a thin line between success and failure, brothers and sisters. Let's take a look. Let's go to Ecclesiasticus in the Apocrypha, also known as Sirach. We're going to read verse uh, chapter 11, verse 23 through 27. Listen here, please, brothers and sisters. Ecclesiasticus 11 and 23 reads, Say not what profit is there of my service, and what good things shall I, shall I have hereafter. Again, say not I have enough. And possess many things. And what evil shall I have hereafter? So brothers and sisters. He allowed this literature to be recorded. Because he wants us to learn this principle. Right? He's saying that never ever. Feel so secure. That you believe. What benefit is, is it of me. To actually do what God said. See? See? Because when you're very successful, you have a lot of money, it would take a lot for you to lose your car. It would take a lot for you to lose your job. It would take a lot for you to lose your house. And see, that's the security. That's the false sense of security that leads us to do the wrong thing. It starts at one. Th it starts once. Well, you know, I could skip the Sabbath this time. You know, it's not like I'm going to lose my house. I got, you know, I got 50 grand in the bank right now. 
See, when you're very, you're looking very tight, you know one false move <laughs> could set you back. You could be sleeping in your car, one false move. But when you think you're secure, right? Just signed a new lease, just moved into your place, just got a new house, right? You think it would be so, so much would have to happen for me to actually get put out of this house. <laughs> See? This is how we think. I'm going to read it again. Ecclesiasticus 11 and 24 reads, Again, say not, I have enough, and I possess many things. And what evil shall I have hereafter? Verse 25 says, In the day of prosperity, there is a forgetfulness of affliction. In the day of prosperity, there is a forgetfulness of affliction. And in the day of affliction, there is no more remembrance of prosperity. Let me read 25 one more time. Ecclesiasticus 11 and 25 reads, In the day of prosperity, there is a forgetfulness of affliction. According to the author, God is often forgotten in the days of our prosperity. Brothers and sisters, according to the text, success has a tendency to lure us away from our dependence on God. Forgetfulness, brothers and sisters, it becomes more, most prevalent when we're enjoying good success or prosperity. See, let us show you what else God uses, though, what else God knows. Look at verse 26. Ecclesiasticus 11 and 26 reads, For it is an easy thing unto the Lord in the day of death to reward a man according to his ways. Verse 27 reads, The affliction of an hour, the affliction of an hour maketh a man forget pleasure. The affliction of an hour maketh a man forget pleasure. Brothers and sisters, affliction drives us to God. God uses adversity to get our attention. So instead of uncertainty, the right use of affliction is to drive us back to God. This is very concerning. This is very concerning, brothers and sisters, because according to the text, our behavior alters with any level of success. He's telling you, listen, affliction make a man forget about prosperity, forget about pleasure. So if that's the only way to keep you honest, I'm going to keep you honest by hook or by crook. Because why? Most of us cannot be trusted. Most of us cannot be trusted. God is not going to give you a blessing that's going to, with that blessing, is going to diminish your commitment to him. <laughs> okay? He's not going to bring a woman into your life where you start spending less time with God and more time with the woman. Now you don't read your Bible. Now you miss church. He's like, well, nah, you can't, you can't handle a woman right now. <laughs> okay. Sisters, he's not bringing a man there. When now you don't read your Bible, no more prayer, no more church. Why? Because you got a man. He's definitely not, he's definitely not bringing anything into your life that's going to take away from him. You're not ready for a man. 
if you were ready for a man or ready for a woman, you would be able to add that man or woman within your life and God's time doesn't diminish at all. If anything has to diminish, it's his time, it's her time, not God's time. That's why you can't have the new car. That's why you can't have the new job. Because if I give you these things, Israel, might, for some reason, I'm always the one that gets the short end of the stick. <laughs> God is always the one that gets the short end of the stick anytime he gives us a blessing. That's garbage, brothers and sisters. That's garbage. You have to learn to juggle. God will not bless you based on what you can manage. And if you cannot manage it, you will not receive it. God never, ever gives you what you pray for, only what you can manage. Read the Bible. He said, I will never put more on you than you can handle. He knows you can't handle a woman right now. He knows you can't handle a man right now. He knows you can't handle a new car right now. He knows you can't handle your new biz uh, a new business right now. He knows this. See? During good times, many people tend to forget God. We become satisfied, thinking we're secure. And here we read of the, the number one time you're most likely to forget God is when? <laughs> In your prosperity. You can only find this quality of information in one one record brothers and sisters it's the bible it's the bible let's go to lamentations 3 and 17 we're going to read 17 through 20 lamentations the third chapter the 17th verse and it reads and thou hast removed my soul far off from peace, I forgot prosperity. Verse 17 reads again, And thou hast removed my soul far off from peace, I forgot prosperity. And I said, My strength and my hope is perished from the Lord, remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. Brothers and sisters, when a person has been truly broken, their strength to be self-willed diminishes greatly. You see that? Our humiliation and emotional crushing stimulates consistent obedience. That's what Jeremiah is telling us here in Lamentations. Take a look at it one more time. Verse 17 reads, And thou hast removed my soul far from peace. I forgot prosperity. And I said, My strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Verse 19 reads, Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. Brothers and sisters, wormwood and the gall are figurative expressions of uh, like bitter, egregious afflictions. Okay, that's what he's saying. He's saying, remember my afflictions and my misery. Right? 
my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. So he's saying those bad times when you were in the lowest parts of your life, always remember that. Because that will keep you honest. That will keep you obedient. The memories of our broken estate serves to be a great mentor. Excuse me, a, a, a great mentor, a great motivator, brothers and sisters. Remember those times, brother, when you was in a prison cell. Sister, when you had, when you had nothing, when you know where you was going to go. We've all been somewhere there. Low, you know, low is different for each one of us. Some of us have to be brought down to the dust to actually break down. Some of us don't have to go that low. But go back there. There's some low, low times in my life. And anytime I feel maybe overcome or overwhelmed or not excited, I think about that. I go back to those times and it gets me right back where I need to be because it can always be worse. In fact, you've been in worse. And when you were in worse, what were you doing? You were making all types of vows to God that you never kept likely. So he's saying, keep that in remembrance. Jeremiah is telling you, let me read it again. Verse 19 and 20. Verse 19 reads, remembering mine affliction and my misery, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. How quickly we forget. How quickly we forget, brothers and sisters. How quickly. You see this? Follow me, follow us to Ecclesiastes now, 7 and 2 in the Old Testament, right? <clears throat> Listen to this, please, brothers and sisters. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes, the 7th chapter, the 2nd through the 4th verse, and it reads, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Brothers and sisters, according to the author, we learn more from we learn more from difficult times than from times we could, we would consider good or joyful. Listen to this again, brothers and sisters. Verse 2 reads, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. See? Verse, verse, three, verse 3 says, Sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. Brothers and sisters, sorrow leads to reflective thinking or what you would call self-examination. So we tend to look more seriously to God in times of need. In laughter, 
in laughter, we rarely, rarely consider self-improvement. And you know this. Laughter frequently leaves an individual essentially unchanged. So he's telling you sorrow is better than laughter. You see that, brothers and sisters? He said it's better to go to the house of mourning. What is the house of mourning? It's like a funeral parlor, brothers and sisters. <laughs> when somebody die, a funeral. See, because why? When somebody die, you start reflecting on yourself. Am I doing the best I can do? Have I been listening to God? Have I put forth my best effort? Listen to verse 4. Verse 4 reads, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. But the heart of the fools, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 4 reads, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. The house of mourning causes the living to consider their ways, brothers and sisters. It shows us that death serves to promote minding your own mortality. The Bible tells you what in verse in Ecclesiastes 7 and 4, that a fool's mind is cemented on the path to pleasure. They regard only their present delight. You see that, brothers and sisters? Only thing you care about is having fun. There's this thing that I hear young people say. I hear it ever so often, very often rather. I'm bored. I'm bored. I'm bored. Brothers and sisters, is there something wrong with being bored? Is there for some reason you have to always be entertained? See, this is what social media have done. That now when you're bored, what do you do? You, you grab uh, Facebook, right? Or one of them sites that people be on, right? There never can just be a time where I'm you're just relaxed, right? No, I always have to be having fun and be entertained and laughed and giggled. This was on purpose, brothers and sisters. This was on purpose. Peace and quiet. You ever ride in a car with no, no sound? Try it sometime. Try it sometime. Let's go to Deuteronomy 32 and 15. The title of today's lesson, The Test of Success. We started off by going to Job and showing you how Satan, tries to get us to go against ourselves. He never directly comes against us because he can't. God told him this. But he can try to get us to make the mistake that will bring God against us. You see? He tries to have us do things that he knows God is going to bring a judgment on us for. This is how he operates. Take a look at this. Deuteronomy 32 and 15. This is our behavior in the Old Testament. But Jeshurun waxed fat. Brothers and sisters, Jeshurun is another name for Israel. It means the upright one, okay? Jeshurun. Deuteronomy 32 and 15 reads, But Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxing fat. Thou art grown thick. 
thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. Brothers and sisters, this is speaking of a time when we were no longer in need of any earthly thing. We had grown rich and fat. Here we see the pride has the power to sabotage our success. Listen to it again. Deuteronomy 32 and 15 reads, But Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat. Thou art grown thick. Thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God, which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. You see that, brothers and sisters? This is a warning to how easy it is to disregard the Most High in times of prosperity. According to the author, this level of satisfaction and security commonly led to Israel neglecting the Most High God. We only appreciate the water when the well runs dry. That's a shame, but it's the truth. We only appreciate the water when the well runs dry. You see that, brothers and sisters? He's just giving us history. And this is the importance of knowing who the people are in the Bible. This is the importance. Follow us to Proverbs 1 and 32. Proverbs 1 and 32 reads, For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. Let me read that again. Proverbs 1 and 32 reads, For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. Brothers and sisters, this is a, a, an interesting warning from God on the power of affluence to turn a person away. Success and security have destroyed the godliness of more people than any other thing. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Listen to this one more time. Proverbs 1 and 32 reads, For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. And the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. And the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. Brothers and sisters, according to the text, prosperity can be destructive if it's not coupled with the proper wisdom. See, the affluence lack of character to handle success is really what destroys them. See, that's really what destroys them. The lack of character. See, brothers and sisters, follow us to Tobit, the book of Tobit in the Apocrypha. We're at Tobit, the fourth chapter, the fifth verse. We're going to read verse five and six, brothers and sisters. I need you to listen to this closely, clearly. Tobit. 
chapter 4, verse 5 reads, My son, be mindful of the Lord our God all thy days, and let not thy will be set to sin, and let not thy will be set to sin or to transgress his commandments. Do uprightly all thy life long and follow not the ways of unrighteousness. For if thou deal truly, thy doings shall prosperously, shall prosperously succeed to thee and to all them that live justly. Brothers and sisters, based on the first four words in verse five, the implication is that we have a tendency to forget the most high. Listen to it again. Tobit four and five reads, my son, be mindful, my son, be mindful, my son, be mindful of the Lord our God all thy days. Now, I need to point out a couple of things in this text. This is a father right here. You see this? This is a father. What happened to this? Brothers, this generation, the brothers who know who they are. You are, you are, I can't even put into words how important you are to your children. Okay, you, how important you are to your family. Because man is the leader. Man is the leader. But he has to actually be moving. Leadership or leading implies movement. If you're not moving anywhere, it's hard for a sister to allow you to lead. What are you going to stand in front of her? This is where the foundation is. The father should be the foundation, the institution of righteousness in his home, amongst his children and his wife. You have to go here, brothers. This is who you are. See, most of us didn't grow up with our fathers <laughs> breaking it down to us like this. Okay, listen to it again. Tobit 4 and 5 reads, My son, be mindful of the Lord our God all thy days. And let not thy will be set to sin or to transgress his commandments. Do uprightly all thy life long and follow not the ways of unrighteousness. For if thou deal truly, thy doings shall prosperously succeed to thee and to all them that live justly. Brothers and sisters, the crux or the catalyst for sin is frequently described in the Bible as thoughtlessness or forgetfulness of the Most High. That's why Tobit said, Totus, it says, be mindful of the Most High all your days and, not, and don't let your will be set to sin. So according to the text, when we're not mindful of the Most High, our will becomes set to sin. Remember, Isaiah said what? He keeps those in perfect peace who keeps their mind stayed on him. See? So when you become to your mind is, is on all these different things, worldly things, right? 
fleshly things. Brothers and sisters, you are your most dominant thought. Whatever you think about the most during the day, it's an idol. <laughs> okay. If it doesn't have anything to do with the most high, that's who you actually are. That's your that's your dominant thought. Because why? The Bible said, as a man think in his heart, so is he. See? So even at the thought level, look at Ecclesiastes 8 and 11. Because why? Tobit said, don't forget the most high. Why? Because when you forget him, you're... Your will becomes set to sin, right? Take a look at Ecclesiastes 8 and 11. Ecclesiastes 8 reads, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. According to the author, brothers and sisters, the, the gracious delay of God's retribution leads to further disobedience more times than not. Because the Most High does not immediately punish every delinquency, men therefore are emboldened to persist in sin. You see that? Follow me to 1 John 3 and 19. Read 19 through 21. 1 John 3 and 19 reads, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence or arrogance towards God. Brothers and sisters, 1 John, the third chapter, is focused on the conviction of sin. Okay? According to the author, true salvation results in a person being more sensitive to sin. So according to the text, the lack of penitence is evidence of our distance from Christ. Listen to this again. Verse 20, First uh, John 3 and 20. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God. So he's saying, when you do the wrong thing, if your heart does not condemn you and say, son, that was the wrong move. Sister, that was the wrong move. Daughter, that was the wrong move. Go apologize. You see that, brothers and sisters? He's saying, if you're close to Christ, you won't be able to do evil and, and just ignore it as if it's nothing. Now, if your heart doesn't, if you could just go kill a brother and go out and for a beer after that. Okay? You're on the path to hell. Christ is nowhere near you. But if when you do wrong, your conscience, your heart pricks you. And you squirm. And you have a bad day. And it's on your mind. That's the most high. That's the Holy Spirit. He's telling you, 
if your heart don't condemn you when you do wrong, you have pride. Where you can just do do dirt all through life and feel no way about it. See? So conviction of sin is a result of genuine belief in the Most High and His Word. This was intended by the Most High to drive us to Him that we might receive forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, sometimes the mistake is not the problem. The lack of remorse is the real mistake. That's the real mistake. Take a look at Proverbs 28 and 1. We're almost done here, brothers and sisters. Proverbs 28 and 1 reads, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. I'm going to read that again. Proverbs 28 and 1. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Brothers and sisters, a guilty conscience needs no accuser. It's always on the defensive. See? So a guilty conscience is prone to take innocent statements as accusations to be on edge. So what is this saying? Brothers and sisters, we read in the first chapter that if your heart condemn you, then God is greater than your heart. However, if your heart does not condemn you, then you show pride and arrogance. Now, Proverbs 28 and 1, it says the wicked flee when no man pursueth them. See, once you've been convicted and confessed your sin, you don't have a guilty conscience. The guilty conscience belongs to those who have never confessed, have never repented. You see? He said, verse 28 and 1, the wicked flee when no man pursueth. So our conscience creates the pursuer that ought to be there even when it's not. See? So a disciplined conscience is a man's best friend. A guilty conscience will take an innocent statement as an accusation. <laughs> a guilty conscience needs no accuser. It's always defensive. Same thing what was going on with Adam. Remember, Adam and Eve, they were hiding. They did wrong. Their conscience was letting them know that they did wrong, so they tried to hide. So the wicked flee. Why? Because they're guilty of sin and they know it. Their fear comes from being found out and punished. You see that, brothers and sisters? So once you're convicted of sin, why is he convicting you of sin? So you can repent of it. And not this broad, forgive me for all my sins, garbage that they taught us in Christian church. No. What sin do you want forgiveness for, son? What sin is it? Well, all my sins. Okay, which one do you want us to start with, son? See, we don't do that. We don't, we don't actually articulate the actual sin we're asking for forgiveness for. And see, you never change like that. If you can't articulate it, you will never change. Because there's a power of life and death in the words. When you actually say it, there comes a power. I'm going to read 
Luke 16 and 10. Luke 16 and 10 reads, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Brothers and sisters, the author tells us that trust must be earned. He teaches us that trust can never be granted without us earning it. Listen to it again. Verse 10 reads, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is also unjust in much. This is his principle when administering success. Brothers and sisters, our world is governed by laws. Whether a law is obeyed or infringed, there will be consequences. This is a law. Listen to verse 11. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon or money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? If you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is of your own? You see that, brothers and sisters? Do you see that? Once you learn the laws of life, life becomes your servant. He's telling you, listen, you have to pass the small test. You're asking me for a million dollars. You can't even do what you're supposed to do with a hundred dollars. Okay? You can't even give me 10% of that. <laughs> You haven't bought a Bible yet with your own money. See? This is what he's pointing to, brothers and sisters. The little test. Once I can, once we prove that we can be trusted with the little success, then the bigger success comes. But you don't get big success and then say, well, I know I haven't proven that I'm, I'm trustworthy, but I will when you give it to me. Nah, it don't work that way. <laughs> the world don't work that way. God will never give you what you can, what you pray for, only what you can handle. Only what you can handle. Proverbs 25 and 19 reads, Confidence in an unfaithful man in the time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. I'm going to read that again. Proverbs 25 and 19. Confidence in an unfaithful man in the time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. An unfaithful man is one who shows a lack of commitment. Brothers and sisters, the author tells us that any confidence in an inconsistent man is unmerited, is, is unmerited and illegitimate. Frankly, because why? He's not consistent. And because he's not consistent, he's not he's he's considered unreliable and unserviceable according to God. So the text teaches that if he's not committed, he should not be depended on in any capacity. I'm going to read it again. Verse 19 in the 25th chapter in the book of Proverbs reads Confidence in a unfaithful man in the time of trouble 
is like a broken tooth. A broken tooth means what? You can't even nourish yourself without pain. <laughs> this is a foot out of joint, which means what? You can't get away. You can't even move forward. He's dragging you down. Every step you take forward is in pain. See that? Confidence in an unfaithful man in the time of trouble is like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. Mm. Mm. Brothers and sisters, follow us to follow us to, to Luke chapter five. Verse 1 through 6. Luke 5 and 1 reads, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gerneset and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed with him, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. He sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a drop. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. Brothers and sisters, from those six verses, we learn a multitude of principles. Number one. Christ always teaches before he blesses. Okay? He always teaches before he blesses. Let me read 3, verse 3 through 5 again. And he, verse 3 reads, And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. See that? Brothers and sisters, he always teaches you before he blesses you. And then we see what? Manifestation came into their lives once they understood, allowing them to increase their capacity for God's blessing. So it's not just that he's teaching you, it's that you understand. How do we know? Listen to verse 5. Excuse me, listen to verse 4. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drop. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we've toiled all night and have taken in nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, nevertheless, at thy word, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down this net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fish. And their net break. So brothers and sisters, the evidence of your comprehension will be in your alterate, uh, you, you know, your altered behavior. So he understood what? He said, well, listen, 
Christ, I haven't caught anything all night, but because you said so, I'll do it. I'll do it. See? So not only is the Most High looking for comprehension, but application. See, he taught them and he applied it. But we wanted to show you, listen, it's one thing to do things on your own. It's something completely different to do things under the authority of God. He was in the same place fishing for a lot more time and caught nothing. Christ said, go back out there, throw it on this side. <laughs> See, that's the difference when you do things with what? Permission. When you do things with the permission of the Father. And when you don't. You see that, brothers and sisters? We're going to go to our last scriptures. Deuteronomy 27, verse 9. Deuteronomy 27 and 9. And Moses and the priests, the Levites, spake unto all Israel, saying, Take heed and hearken, O Israel, this day thou art become the people of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt therefore obey the voice of the Lord thy God and do his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. And Moses charged the people the same day, saying, These shall stand upon Mount Jerism to bless the people. And when you come over to Jordan, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, Benjamin, and these shall stand upon Mount Ebal to curse Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, Naphtali. Brothers and sisters, what are you seeing here? This is before we go into the promised land. What are you seeing here? The division of tribes between two mountains. Moses is saying, I want this, these tribes to go to this mountain to pronounce a blessing and these tribes to go to this mountain to pronounce a curse. So it's showing you that we cannot enter the land without being exposed to either a blessing or a curse. See, this is what our people need to understand. We're either going to be blessed or we're going to be cursed. There is no, there is no in between with us. You're either going to be the head or the tail. And see, our people don't get this. Our people do not get this. Moses had our the tribes divided and said, when you go in there, you're either going to be blessed or you're going to be cursed. There is no middle ground for you, Israel. And our people try to operate in this gray area, this, you know, this middle ground area, this fence. I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, that fence that you're on. Is on Satan's property. Satan owned that fence, brothers and sisters. He owns that fence. We wanted to go here to show you no blessing goes unchallenged. There's no way to receive a blessing without also being exposed to a curse, without also being exposed to a test, brothers and sisters, especially for the children of Israel, especially. The title today, brothers and sisters, was the test of success. When success leads to failure. 
We've learned that, brothers and sisters, success has destroyed more people than failure, predominantly the children of Israel. And there's a very thin line between prosperity or success and, and failure. I encourage our brothers and sisters to, to internalize what you learned today. Recall. Recall your past behaviors. Recall your last good prosperity and success and how you responded to it. Were you committed to God? Or were you lackadaisical? Were you loose? Because why? We have success coming in the near future. But only if we can be trusted, brothers and sisters. We learned already today that Satan never, never came against us directly. He's, he's counting on, he's betting on us to get in our own way, brothers and sisters, as many times we do. He's betting that we get in our own way. The title today, The Test of Success. I want to say, Kwam Yasharala, sin no more.